Hello, I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week as I shine a light on some of the very best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offer advice to those that want to make in the UK. But before we get on to today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a little event I've got coming up. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers and British-made brands from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. Taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London, we've got over 200 exhibitors and inspiring talks, just like the ones on this podcast. It's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive. Registration for the show is now open. And if you go to mib.live forward slash podcast VIP, I've got a special something for you when you register. I hope to see you there. And now let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 37 of the Make It British podcast. Did you watch Crufts at the weekend? Because if you did and you're a dog lover, you are going to be delighted with this episode because I'm interviewing Debbie Humphreys, who is the founder of a business called Red Hound for Dogs. Now, Red Hound for Dogs, you may not have heard of if you're not a Whippet owner, because Debbie specifically makes clothes for Whippets after realising once she owned a Whippet, they actually get a little bit chilly and they really do need clothes. But even if you don't own a Whippet or a dog, You are going to love this episode because in it, Debbie describes how her career has changed. She was actually a very skilled seamstress making wedding dresses originally, but that evolved into the business that she now has today. And it's definitely a lesson for anyone who is starting out in business and is trying to do everything because Debbie is a great example of how by being very specific and knowing your ideal customer and becoming very niche, you can become very, very successful. It's a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. Grab yourself a cup of tea and sit down and listen. Hello, Debbie. Thank you very much for joining me for a little chat today. Oh, thank you, Kate, for having me. So, Red Hound for Dogs, tell everyone what it is. Red Hound for Dogs, we are a premium dog clothing brand specialising in whippets. Um, We make wax coats, fleece jumpers, super stylish gear for whippets so they can live their lives functionally and happily. Um, We don't make anything gimmicky, it's all beautifully stylish stuff. And how did it come about and why Whippets? It came about because I had a shivering Whippet called Bruno. Uh, 2003, I I owned a a wedding dress shop at the time with a very dear friend of mine who still is a very dear friend of mine. And um, I got a Whippet and I didn't realise that they needed so much in the clothing department. And because I was running a busy very busy business at the time you know we were making up to 100 wedding dresses a year it was it was quite a a big business and um I didn't have time to make him a coat or you know so I just took to the internet well you know what it was like all those years ago it was nothing like it is now we're so used to now it's it's just at the touch of a button isn't you google it hundreds of sites come up but it wasn't quite the same then 
So I ordered him a few things, went down to the usual pet shop stuff. Nothing fitted, but I thought, well, you know, it'll be all right. It'll, it'll do. It'll do. Um, and in the end, I just decided, no, it just won't do. Can't find anything that fits him. And I got pretty fed up with the wedding dress business by then. Been doing it for 17 years. And I just decided a change was needed. And so gave the wedding dress shop up. We sold it. And Red Hound for Dogs was born. So, ah. yeah. Well, the first the first time I ever heard your name or I found out about you is I actually bought one of your books. You've written a book, haven't you? Oh, about, Dogs um, in Jumpers. How, yes. yes. Yes, Dogs in Jumpers. So when I got my dog last year, yeah. I thought, great, I'm going to knit him a little jumper. And I bought all the yarn for it. It was from um, from Three Bears Yarns, who are one of the exhibitors yes, at our trade I show up in Blackburn. Yeah. yeah. And uh, started knitting it. And of course, I started knitting it puppy size, but I'm a rubbish knitter. Oh, so <laughs> by, by the time I was halfway through, I thought, this is not going to fit him. He's getting quite big, quite fast. <laughs> so you so never finished did... it then? No, I'm really sorry. I've never finished it. <laughs> but if I have another puppy, it's fine. I can finish it then. But there or are a smaller there are, dog. Well, there are styles in the book that probably would fit your dog. So, <laughs> and, and in actual so, fact, um, we have got a paperback coming out. The book is coming out in paperback in August. I'm not sure that I'm allowed to say that, but why not get a plug in for it? No, definitely. Uh, <laughs> definitely. It's a fantastic yeah. book. And I probably spent too long going through it and looking at all the patterns, trying to decide which one of the lovely jumpers I was going to knit. <laughs> and I'm not the world's best knitter. I did knitting at um, college, who maybe you did as well. And I'll come on to So, um, yeah, it, I was too slow, basically. <laughs> so did, is your background in, so you say you had a wedding shop, was your background in textiles? Did you train no, in textiles? No, not at all. No, I did a degree in biology. You know, where's that? What's that all about? Gosh. <laughs> I know. But the thing is, I had always been a sewer. From right. the age of about 10 or 11, I was making clothes. I was watching my mum make clothes. I was helping mum. Um, she didn't do it as a profession. She did it as a hobby. And my grandma was keen sewer and, and I picked up the skill. And I did with knitting as well. But to be honest, yeah. I sort of left the knitting behind for many years. But um, with with the sewing, I always sewed. And all my way through school, I was making three-tiered you know, cotton skirts for my school friends and selling them. So, Gosh, that must be rah-rah time in the 80s I, then because I was well, making them too. Yes, it was a little <laughs> bit, little bit. yeah, probably early 80s, I would say, yep. maybe even a bit earlier than that, so sort of late 70s. And um, I used to sort lots of vintage lace and all the petticoats used to show under the skirts. And as soon as I wore one that I had made, all my friends said, oh, make me one. And I said, yeah, if you pay me for it. So I think that the entrepreneur was probably in me the whole time. And then I just I couldn't decide whether to go to fashion college or whether to, to get this academic thing out of my system. And I decided in the end, and it was purely geography because it, I had a place at London College of Fashion but because we lived in Essex, it would, I wouldn't have got a grant to, in those days when you got a grant. I wouldn't have got a grant to live out of home. Uh, I would have had to have travelled in every day, commuted into London. And, and my sensible head said, oh, no, I want to get away. You know, I want to be independent. <laughs> and so I went off and did my degree. And the whole way through, it was at Oxford Poly, actually, at the time, as it was then. Um, 
I was making ball gowns for people because, you know, every season that would be ball gown season. Like, oh, Deb, you sew, you know, can you make it, you know. So I was earning quite good money at the sewing. Oh, wow. Um, and then that, I suppose that led into the wedding dresses it, then. It led, well, there was a bit of a, a route to that, but basically it led me into high-end evening wear. Um, and I worked a lot in London du- during the 80s, you know, when it was quite a hedonistic time, wasn't it? But it was such a lot of fun in fashion then. But it was it was also a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. They'd expect you to work all night. And I mean, it's good training, really good training for running your own business. Um, and then I went off to New Zealand for a couple of years and worked over there, which was pretty dire because they just copy everything and there was no actual designing so you know going from sample machinist in london to having to to copy something was pretty bad um then when i came back went back, when i went to work for jenny packham oh did you yeah yeah worked oh, for her. that right, was in okay. early 90s and i mean very talented designer jenny um but very stressful environment but that's where i met andrea who was a pattern cutter there who and it was she and i who set up the wedding dress business together. So we very naively decided to leave Jenny Packham's and go it alone. <laughs> but this, this looks easy, this wedding wedding dress malarkey. Well, again, so, you know, it wasn't, it, again, it wasn't an easy thing because we, initially we did a lot of outwork for people. So we did a lot of work for um, Amanda Wakeley, Ben DeLisi, Bruce Oldfield, Jasper Conrad, you name it, we made, we made clothes. You must be a very skilled machinist then. I believe very so. Very skilled. Yeah, yes. I have made Which... pretty much anything. So turning my hand to dog coats. It was I, easy. Yeah, it was easy. <laughs> but also I think because I still work with Andrew, she still makes all my patterns. Um, it's a great relationship because I think it gives me the edge over my competitors because hmm. my background is so unique. Um, yeah, and your co- I mean, I say easy, but actually, it's not. I was at Burberry when they brought out the Burberry, the version of the Burberry trench coat for dogs, yes. and it was my friend Emma that designed and pattern cut that. And I remember how many patterns it took mm-hmm. to get the shape exactly right because each dog is a different size. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. And I think they just do uh, a coat for a straight back dog, don't they? Whereas you see with whippets, they've yes. got small necks, um, slim heads, they've got deep chests, small bellies. And they're curved on the spine. So there's a lot of requirements. But because, you know, having whippets, I've always had an in-house model. So it's always been... Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's always been quite so, easy in that respect. So what was the first product that you made for a whippet? And what was the first product that you sold? First product, uh, well, hand-knitted jumpers. I used to knit Bruno jumpers. And I used to get commissions at the time, actually, in between the wedding dress shop and setting up Red Hound. Uh, we moved to Devon and opened a gift shop and I would be in there knitting for Bruno. And of course people would come in and say, Oh, we knit me one, you know, for my dog. And I'd yeah. say, yes. And so I was paid to do that. And then I started thinking, well, I was about to make him a wax coat. <laughs> so, you know, I saw sourcing the fabric was the hardest thing to be honest, but I, I sourced the fabric, um, and by then I think we decided we were going to go for it in a big way. Um, and we we pretty much launched the brand at Country Living Christmas Show in 2010. So that was really right, the, okay. the, the so beginning. Nine, eight years ago. Yeah, we're in our ninth year now. So yeah. and at that show, we won Best in Show, funnily enough. Um, oh, brilliant! Editor's Choice. So I think it was that that really convinced me that we were onto something. Um, and interestingly, at that show, 
of course, people were not allowed to bring their dogs in. So, and yet we still sold a lot of stuff and we still did really well. So um, that definitely gave me the confidence to think, right, is, this is the right thing. And, and going online meant that we could move back to Kent. So um, it gave us more freedom. So um, am I right in thinking it's still only for Whippet? So in nine years, you, you've you never gone outside of Whippets? We or do you have, diversify no, and go into greyhounds? We, yeah, we used to do all breeds. So we used to do yeah. all the terrier types. We used to do dash hounds and Whippets and a few. We do a couple of styles of greyhounds. Um, but not very many because the fabrics that we use, it gets very price prohibitive as you get up to that sort of size of coat. And to be honest, with greyhounds, there's an awful lot of charities that, that sell greyhound coats. And and I've always had this sort of slight feeling that I don't want to tread on you know anybody's toes. And I don't understand the breed as much as I understand whippets. And it was only really in the last 12 months that I've niched down to really just doing whippets. And has that seen sales? How's that seen oh, sales go by soar, doing that? Yeah, soaring. Because really, I'm, yeah, definitely. Because I am now speaking to just one one customer, you know, that understands yeah. what I understand. And the whippet owner. The whippet yeah. owner, and and I am that whippet owner daily, and I know their needs. Um, with the other dogs. I don't know. I you know, I don't know what they need as much. And and actually a lot of them I don't think need a coat. <laughs> you know, so no, my dog's really furry, yeah, he won't wear it, a coat. No, Growls at me if try and put one on. Exactly. And and many of them don't, and yet people do still want to to put coats on them. So I don't mm. feel comfortable necessarily with that. Um dash hands were big for us, but I found that the the breeding of the dash hounds now, the sizing is all over the place. It's, yeah, you see some really tiny dash hands oh, around now, don't you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, people would say at a show, you know, my tiniest coat, they say, oh, no, that's swamp, that swamp my dash hounds. And I think, well, how big's your dog? You know, it's just a, just can't comprehend it. <laughs> so so I, only do, I only do dash hounds through um, a couple of selected stockists. And, we've, yeah, we've just joined a rather large online retailer who have got some dash hound oh. stuff um ah. and some whippet stuff but generally for me if people come to me for the whippet stuff see that's really interesting because what i always say to people particularly if they come to me and they're looking to launch a product line find a manufacturer and they've got a huge mix of different things they want to make and you know and i just say you need to keep it your range much smaller than yeah. that because you're so by doing what you do you haven't got to invest in loads of different sizes have you you haven't got to guess which size the next customer is going to be no, because it's, you're probably only selling in a few yeah it's so much easier because i know the sizes that we sell i know you know say that medium size medium whippet size is probably the one i sell the most of and then it's followed by the large then the small um, and I'd also do Italian Greyhound. So that's actually building right, as well. Yeah. But again, very competitive market. I don't think for the Whippets, it's hugely competitive. There's a few companies out there doing it and, and they're offering something different to me. Um, but I think we've established ourselves quite nicely within within that you know that realm of, of, of Whippet clothes. So, yeah. and, and that's where I want uh, to be, to be honest, because Whippets make me happy. 
And <laughs> and when I, you know, when I send out a product and I know it's going to fit the dog beautifully and it's going to mean that they can run around and do what they want to do. Or an elderly yeah, dog, you know, who needs to be kept yeah. warm because I've had dogs right through to 14 years you know we lost Bruno and Frankie when they were 14 and now I've got two young ones so you know I've been through that lifespan with them yeah so and I've seen pictures so it's not just whippet wear is it because I've seen pictures of you wearing the same outfit as one of your whippets yes you now you're talking me about, about the, how that came about the, t-shirt? the stripy top yes. yes which I'm actually wearing today Kate. oh are you oh, yeah. you must send me a picture oh, of, you, of that again so that I can put it in the show notes for the podcast oh, I will. do you want to tell everyone describe um what it is and yeah. how you're matching your dog well what I wanted to do last year I've, I've, we do a lot of fleece jumpers for whippets and I had a lot of people asking me for something a lighter layer because maybe the dog had a scratch on its side or perhaps the dog had been spayed and they want to protect the wound but they don't want something fluffy over the top so for a long time I tried to source some really nice cotton fabric and I've always loved mm-hmm. a Breton stripe I've always loved a stripy top and um eventually I think it was at your one of your shows actually oh I, was it Riverside Textiles no 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 it's no, Discovery Knitting oh yes of course yes, yeah Discovery yeah, Knitting engineered jersey stripes yes and um mm. went to see them and thought oh this is the stuff that I need and uh, started off you know small we didn't have a huge amount to start with um, and now we're, we're ordering rolls now. They've taken off the little um, Breton stripe T-shirts taken off with the dogs so well. Um, and I thought, what am I going to get myself? A, you know, I want to have, have one as well. Because <laughs> it's lovely. It's organic cotton. It's so easy to wear. Um, I, I love it. It's really soft and gorgeous. So we made a pattern, and, and I, they are going to be coming on board for the ladies this summer that's all I can say. It's taken a long time, but we just can't get the production at the moment because we're too busy making that's the other stuff. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So where? So you you made stuff yourself originally, I would imagine. What did you do when the orders started growing? I well, what did I do? I knew that I needed some, a couple of sewers to help me because I was well, I was going crazy doing it all. Um, and I was very lucky because the one when we moved into this old barn where we are there's some other units on the farm other businesses and there was a lovely lady who uh had a, a golf trolley business of all things and she said oh my friend pat she sews you know you know what it's like you only need one lady and then they know yeah. somebody else don't they so lovely pat who's now 82 bless her um she was my first sewer and she used to do outwork for me and she still occasionally does a few things for me when i really need her um, and then she had another lovely friend and, and then she had a lovely, lovely friend. And actually that whole group who were working at a, a, another place local to here, they've all, they all kept in touch. They were all friends. And eventually, you know, I've pretty much taken them all on as sewers. So Brilliant. I suppose it's a lovely product for them to make and it's something a bit different, isn't it? Is. It is. You know, my stuff is pretty easy to make. Um, some of them we do have... Some of the outworkers have a bit of difficulty with the wax cotton because their machine just doesn't like it. And I've got a lovely outworker now who who makes the quilted stuff beautifully, her machine, but she, her machine won't manage the wax. So I have to give her other things. Uh, I've got another machinist that only likes making fleece jumpers, so I give her the jumpers to make. Um, but generally, and actually now, uh, having done some local advertising last year, I have actually got a lady that comes in um 
two or three days a week and actually sews here, uh, which is fantastic because if we need to get on there together, you know, we can get a little production run going. Um, so I do yeah. still do more of the sewing than I really would like to, um, but needs must. But that's interesting you're saying that you're sending it to outworkers because I've heard that from a few people recently. Uh, it's that return to to the cottage industries I think is definitely coming back because it fits in with people's lifestyles to be able to work from home, whatever they're doing. And, you know, I know of some designers who've actually bought industrial sewing machines and then loaned them out into people's homes yes. so they can work from home. Yes, well, it's a very it's people, a good way of doing it because you yeah. actually do have much more control. I, I certainly did majorly consider trying to find a factory to take on. I was going to ask that. Have yeah. you ever looked at a yeah. factory to make the coats? I have, I have. And in actual fact... Um, we did go and visit uh, Lavenham. Um, of course, quilted coats. Yes, yeah, yeah. We, I saw them at your show. I think that was last Good. year. And we yeah. we went up there and sort of showed us around. Most amazing factory. I mean, it just blows your mind. Have you been there? I haven't actually. No, oh. that's guilty. See, I've not one of the places I haven't oh, been to. Pay them a visit, Kate, because they are doing everything so right there. They really are. But it was a very interesting exercise for me because although they were willing to take smaller quantities for me, um, they still needed to put my stuff just with their two sample machinists because it wasn't enough to put on a production line. Because at the time I was talking to them, I was talking about maybe having 20 per style made, you know, not 100. Yeah. So Yeah, and for those quilting machines as well. I've seen a quilting machine in action at Caledonian Quilting in Bolton and you do need to put a reasonable amount of cloth through it to make it worthwhile. Yeah, well, I was actually going to supply them with cut work. So because right. we, we get our fabric comes in quilted, I have a different person do that. But I actually I'm going to check out Caledonian because I really I do like the sound of them. But um, Yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, so we were going to supply them with cut work, which they were very happy to do. But... Because they were going to have to put their two best machinists onto it, they're obviously on a higher hourly rate, as they should be. Um, yeah. And it, and when they came back, they produced two beautiful samples. I mean, unbelievable, really beautiful quality. And they would have packed them, tagged them, done the whole process. But it it was double what I was paying an outworker because obviously they've got all their overheads. Yeah, of course, yeah. And I pay yeah. fair prices to my outworks. My outworks, you know, they can make a really decent hourly rate. I mean, none of my outworkers make less than £12 an hour. And some of them... And is that because you're paying them by the piece? Yeah, I pay them by the piece. Yeah. And, yeah. and some of them can get up to £30 an hour when they're really fast. Yeah, see, I've heard that, and I've heard that more and more factories that are using piecework or at least part piecework and part yes. hourly rates yes. because that's how it used to work yes. back in the days yeah. in the in the clothing factories and it was about piecework it definitely so people had an incentive to yeah. make I mean I went to a factory last week who were doing piecework and I could tell just by the hum of the machines meow, meow, yeah. meow, and the speed that people were going at mm -hmm. that they were on piece there's rate. nothing like that incentive and when you've been a machinist and you've worked on piecework and you know you're quick you can make really good money and actually, yeah. it is a better way for you to earn money. I've done it. I did it for years. And even, you know, we subsidized mm -hmm. the wedding dress business at the beginning by doing piecework. So yeah. I've, I've got a very good idea of what is fair. I time everything myself. And I say, right, you know, I'm super fast. And it will probably take a machinist maybe twice that time. 
So I will take that into account when I'm putting it in my costings. I pay very fairly. Um, I'm certainly, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I feel very strongly about that, um, that everybody yeah. should have a fair, a fair wage um, because I'm not going to get the quality. If they don't love doing it and they're not making enough money, they're not going to do it properly, are they? It's, it's not yeah, rocket no, science. So, true. so basically the, the upshot of that little uh, experiment with Lavenham was that I wasn't in a position at that point because the, imagine the price increase I would have to have had for all my products. Plus, mm. then I started, I think I read a blog of yours, but it sounds like I'm your number one fan here, doesn't it? But I, I, <laughs> I'm glad someone reads it. No. <laughs> I read this blog about, I think you wrote a blog about why you should possibly consider not using a factory. Because I got very fixated on, I've got to find a factory that can do all the mm. things and how are we going to cope if we don't? And and you pointed out that there, there are several reasons why it would be better to keep it closer to home. And I'm not saying it's been easy finding people around here in our little part of Kent, but I have yeah. found sewers and I have found a cutter. And I actually, I'm just advertising for another cutter at the moment. And I think I possibly have someone lined up. He you know, contacted me yesterday. So those people that used to work in London, they do live around here. Yes. And so when you say cutter, so what sort of age are these people well, without, without giving them away completely? I mean, are we talking <laughs> people that are near to retirement or straight out of uni? Well, uh, with my my cutter is she's about sixty two I think um, mm-hmm. she doesn't look a day over fifty I have to say um, uh, no, that's not just in case she's listening <laughs> but um, my sewers range from I think my youngest is fifty up to seventy five my other cutter is seventy five mm-hmm. so it you know it's definitely I'm not. Uh, attracting anybody younger but they don't have the experience um or or the the inclination so i'm dealing with a workforce uh, i'm 56 this year um i can say it i can say it to be okay with it um but yeah it's that era where where the fashion industry was booming, we were all employed. There yeah, was loads of because I'm 50 this year, and I was taught pattern cutting as part of my course yeah. at college. I was rubbish at it, <laughs> but we were all taught it. And then some people loved it, and that's what they went on to do. And some people, yeah, went on to do podcasts and run trade shows <laughs> like myself. Something nothing to do with it. Um, but yeah, I think it's again. I think it's going to come back definitely. I mean. I think it's going to have to. It does feel like there is a change. And I think that's why I really love listening to your podcast because it makes me, it gives me hope. It really gives me hope that I. That's the, that's the, exactly how it, what it's meant to do. So that's fantastic. Yeah, no, it does because there have, there have been times where I've thought, I'm lucky that I have a huge capacity for work and, and I have a really broad skill level. So I can always do that emergency coat that we need, or I can work till midnight and get it done. Mm. But you can't scale a business up that way. You know, you have to have the staff in place. You have to be able to have the workers sewing when you're in, well, not when you're in bed, but, you know, when they're at the weekends, because they want to work at the weekends maybe, or they're happy to sew in the evening if you've got a bulk order on. Um, Have you ever thought of training anyone up? Have you tried to find anyone younger to train up? To be honest with you, it's definitely something that's that's on my mind because I think it would be a terrible shame for me not to be able to pass my skills on to somebody. And I would love to to get a a couple of 
you know, or one to start with maybe, uh, young girls in who want to, to learn the, the job. Because to be mm. honest, I think if you can sew, you will always be employed. Always. Yes. You'll never be definitely. out of work. Definitely. In this day and age, without a doubt. Yeah, never be out of work. And, you know, my lovely uh, outworker I told you about earlier, that Pat, my first outworker, she does alterations in the village and she turns work away constantly turns work away because she doesn't want to work more than three hours a day bless her she you know she's 82 um but i think i i have thought about getting in touch with a local college and seeing if there's any because i believe there is an apprenticeship scheme available isn't there there is definitely if you get in touch with the ukft the uk fashion and textile association they can let you know where the nearest college is in your area and they can they can help you find someone. That would be fantastic because I, I think I, I've obviously need to be a little bit freer um, than I am at the moment. To so how many dog coat? How many units of dog coats? I, mean, oh, I don't want to give your trade secrets away, <laughs> but are we talking um, a lot of coats? Obviously, a, a lot. And are you selling internationally? Yes, we do. Yeah, yeah, we send all around the world, and in fact, all the post today pretty much is going abroad. Um, we're sending out at least 100 packages a week at the moment. And in our busiest months, October, November and December, we were easily sending out 150 orders a week. Really? Yeah. And some yeah. and people are ordering multiples. My husband was, because he's the money man. He, you know, he's the accountant side of things. And he was telling me a very interesting fact that last February, um, I think we've, we've already gone above and beyond what we did last February. But we've had less orders but the order value's gone up and i so you've got die hard fans yeah haven't you yeah we do yeah. And, and the fantastic thing about it is not only have we got really good loyal customers um they will very happily tell another whippet owner that they meet who's you know who sees oh, where did you get that from you know they're very happy to tell them but also they're they're ordering more than they need you know a, a whip it really only needs a jumper and a coat and maybe a t-shirt <laughs> but it's fantastic because I've always having worked in fashion we all know you don't need that extra pair of shoes or that new jumper but you buy it anyway and I seem to have created that desire in my customers I bring out something new and they're like, oh, I've got to have it and I'm not surprised actually, and, and you know your Instagram is fab as well. Oh, thank it, you. There's just some lovely pictures, and the dogs, you know, they look like they're having fun. In your, it, they don't. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Your brand, no. which is what I really love. Oh gosh, no, 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 no. It has to. It has to be. I have to think about the dog. It's always the dog in mind for me. You know, can the dog wear this and still do what it wants to do? Um, so, do your dogs wear a trial everything? Generally, yes. And it's funny because when I had my older ones, they had completely different needs and um, they didn't do very much. They got quite sedate and they didn't really run around much. And But they felt the cold, especially Bruno. He really, really felt the cold. So he could wear a wax coat or a, or a beautiful wool coat and because he never got dirty. Whereas these two, you know, they're running around, they're rolling fox poo, they <laughs> Oh, it has oh to be gosh. it has to be washable and <laughs> since i've had them my range of washable coats has gone up because 
I now know the value of having a washable coat. Yeah, definitely. You've got to <laughs> chuck it in the wash. Exactly. <laughs> well, another thing I, I noticed that we coming back to the sort of knit your own. I know on your website you sell a make your own dog coat and a knit your own dog coat. Like it's a kit. How do they do? Because I think they're great. Yeah, they they had a fantastic, we had a fantastic run with them. And to be honest, mm. when I first launched those, I thought I could get away from the sewing machine and just put kits together. And That's what I was thinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the buy your own, make it yourself. Yeah, yeah, I thought that would be fantastic. But the whole thing, has it's flipped on the, its head completely. Um, when the, the kits, the knitting, the jumper knitting kits came out, we got a couple of fantastic orders from Habitat and from uh, Graham and Green. And they really took it on board. And that Christmas, they featured in, you know, their their catalogues yeah. and everything. And and it, and it sold really well. And I sold to lots of gift shops because because it was quite a gifty product. Yes, exactly. Um, and we sold through lots of gift shops. And I never quite got into John Lewis, which is what I would quite like to have done. Um, but anyway, the upshot of it was that uh, the, the people are too lazy, or like me, yeah. they just know they're not going to finish it. Well, no, not so, really. No, they sold really well, and then I got approached to write the book, and basically the book killed the sales of the kits because people um, could buy the book and they could buy a book with fifteen projects in there for less than the price of buying a kit, and they didn't need the wool and the needles because they already had it. So. I knew that was a risk when we did the book, but it was a mm. it was a fantastic thing in a way to find out because it focused my mind much more on the on the uh, the ready made stuff. And the other thing that happened during that time of having the kits and, and putting it all out there was that the knitting kit was copied, and we had to um, no, we didn't take them to court because they did back down in the end, and they did cease and desist. And with my so oh, own, was it copied by a big? Yeah, brand. Yeah. Oh, naughty, naughty. Uh, so, how did you deal with that? No, I, want, I didn't, didn't necessarily want to get into a whole copyright conversation, but I think that's a really interesting point because we have a lot of people saying, yeah. "How? What do I do to protect my brand from a big person, big retailer copying me?" Well, I would thoroughly recommend that they all join Acid, basically yes. anti-copy yeah. and design. Anti-copy, yeah, it is worth a subscription all the way down the line because they helped us out with a solicitor and um you know you do get a reduced rate on your solicitor for that but uh, to be honest when i saw that product on sale in a rather large department store that particular christmas i felt physically sick oh god i bet you did yeah because i had put my heart and soul into that product we had our boxes designed locally um, I'd sourced the wool from Donegal Yarns. I'd, you know, invested thousands of pounds doing, you know, doing the whole thing. And then somebody just pops up with a cheap NAF copy. That is, oh. And I felt sick. I felt really sick. But we fought them. They realised that they, you know, had done wrong. <laughs> and um, Yeah, so they should. They what it. usually happens in those instances is that some junior buyer who just, yeah, goes to a supplier and says, can you copy this? And they don't know any better. And it's, they should have their knuckles wrapped yes. for doing that. It's My, really bad. I have big suspicions that that is what happened uh, with that going yeah. to detail. But then we had a similar incident with our sew your own dog coat patterns um, with a, a lady who bought all the patterns. So basically she had nine patterns ranging from so you knew she'd bought yeah them. we knew she bought them because she she'd ordered on our website i mean in her own name <laughs> not, not <laughs> and the, then copied them not the brightest button um and then and then <laughs> and then made them in the same fabric we had photographed them in 
and we used to sell them ready-made oh, as well no. and we're selling them and it it wasn't so easy fighting her because she would not get a solicitor involved she fought it herself and she just kept saying to our solicitor haven't done anything wrong all whippet coats are the same um and you can't fight someone like that you just can't. really even though you had evidence that she'd bought oh, patterns from totally you. and she it, all our patterns have on them copyright protected and uh, not yeah. for commercial use you can put that on all your products till the cows come home but if you find somebody that's as ballsy as she is you mm. do not have a chance because the next stage for us was to take her to court we may or may not have won and she may or may not have turned up at court you know, she lived in the other end of the country to us. It couldn't have been further away. And so she's actually, she did adapt the pattern. Um, and I pulled the pattern from from sale. I, I just felt, again, physically sick about the product. And what I, what I decided to do was we had invested so much money in having these patterns printed because big print costs a lot of money. Yeah, and, exactly. And we've still got probably 500 sitting on the shelf, you know, the boxes we had made specially. So I decided that I'd come at it from the wrong angle and I needed to re-photograph them in, in fabrics that nobody else could recreate and make them a slightly different way and not give us many detailed instructions on how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just can't believe that small businesses don't support other small businesses, especially when they're in the same industry as you oh. and trying to she, that she had anyway. she had a history of copying other people and i can't even remember how i, I think somebody might have seen something she'd put on facebook and then and thought it was one of yours me to it yeah and 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 that's where social media is such a fantastic thing because i was i had so much support from from my yeah, people exactly. but you know what i learned from both of these experiences and i would say this to anybody who has a similar experience don't, don't, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say the whole thing made me feel so sick and so paralyzed that I wasn't putting my energy into my business and what I could offer my customers. And don't let that happen. That's what I would say. You'd be better than that person. Move yeah, on that's fantastic to advice. the next yeah. thing because you can move on to the next thing. If they've copied your product, they can't. They need someone else to copy. And yeah, that's brilliant advice, Debbie. So that, yeah, that's really what good. I did. And I think partly because those things happened, it, it has moved my business into an, an area that's that's taken on a different, it's a completely different level now. I'm, I'm, and you've done better for yeah. it in the long run yeah, anyway. I and have. there you go. Don't you see? The, the good people win out in the end. That's what I believe. Oh, I do too. And I, and I, <laughs> and I think, you know, the experience might have been negative, but positive, massive positive came out of it. So, Brilliant. Uh, and I'm now doing what I really, really love. The whole craft stuff now, I'm just like, every time something goes out, I'm like, oh, who's going to copy me now? You know, it just <laughs> left a bad taste in my mouth. But there aren't many kits left and um, the, the sewing patterns go out with a very polite letter in very big writing explaining <laughs> the, the copyright rules. This is for you and your dog and your friends only. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and maybe some for rescues. I, I don't mind that. But like, I have a team of ladies knitting at the moment. Last year we raised 4300 for Galgos del Sol because I did an auction of hand-knitted jumpers and they were all my patterns and my ladies all sit and knit them and we had 165 lots and they sold on auction on Facebook and raised loads of money. And this year we're doing the same, but for a different charity. 
Oh, brilliant. So when's that happening? Because I'll you'll have to let me know and we can oh, make sure we let everyone know I will. About that. that would be great. It's going to happen in September and it's going to happen over a week. I'm going to do a live auction on Facebook five nights in a row. That's the plan. Brilliant. That's the plan. I will tune in. Um, because I think <laughs> I did a live auction with um, Kerry Jordan, my photographer, last year for charity. We, we, we sold off some seconds and some old uh, clothes of mine that her dogs have got that she's just got too much in the wardrobe now. So she wanted to auction those off. And, we, and it was such a lot of fun. I thought, yeah, this is the way I'm going to do it that way because it's fun for me as well. And people can see the size of the jumper then and they'll think, oh, yeah, it'll definitely fit my dog. Um, yeah, or- brilliant. What a great idea. I'm trying to think, well, I can live auction off now, <laughs> apart from my children. <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't advise that. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, you've been really brilliant to have a chat with today. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Where can everyone find you? Where's the best place for them to find you, especially if they've got a whip in? Well, if they've got a yeah, well, well, exactly. They can uh, get onto our website, www.redhoundfordogs.com. Uh, they can obviously look at our Instagram, Red Hound, at Red Hound for Dogs. And Facebook, we are Red Hound for Dogs. Um, I think if you just Google Red Hound for Dogs, quite frankly, we're coming up now. So, <laughs> so that's really great. Brilliant. And if they want to find anything for a dash hound, they can find that on fetch.co.uk um, because that's the big retailer that we've just started to supply. So if they want dash hound stuff, they can get it there. Or we have a fantastic stockist called the Dog House in Bradford on Avon. She also has the dash hound stuff. Brilliant. Debbie, thank you very much for your time today. And I will put some pictures of you <laughs> with your, your dogs and your Breton jumper with matching uh, dogs in the show notes <laughs> for the podcast. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.